This flood brings a lot and lots of sediments and uh, these sediments are extremely fertile and that's where our uh, agriculture happens. Uh, it is that agriculture that created our civilizations. So we built a lot of highways uh, over our rivers, of course, and nearby rivers. But uh, we don't consider the floodplains. Majority of our planning is done during the summertime. And uh, we don't go there at the time of flood. So you do not know how much water is there. It will come. So they just built it as like the contractor will just come. They'll just say that, you know, this is the best design. You'll just build it, etc. But what happens is that uh, during the time of floods, it will eventually, uh, you know, that infrastructure will be affected. Thank you so much, Varna and everyone for having me here. Uh, it's uh, really a privilege. I work in a particular team called Geoanalytics. I'll just explain what it is. Um, so what I do is, we, from the last uh, line of this uh, slide, you can see that there is data analytics tools and models. I take it to the government and so that the cities make planning and governance decisions that are both economically competitive and as well as environmentally sustainable. We don't want to give it like just like, you know, development projects, you know, go and do it, do it kind of thing. But we want to make sure that it is environmentally sustainable and also equitable. That is, make sure that uh, projects don't affect a particular section of the, uh, you know, populace, whether it is poorer population living in this place, that place, et cetera, et cetera. So we try to make sure that this is our vision for uh, my team. Uh, last year, uh, since last year, this has been our vision and we have adopted it. And uh, so, as I said, this is the approach. So I use a lot of uh, satellite data. I use a lot of uh, mapping tools. I use big data. I use models for machine learning, artificial intelligence. I take all of those from the tech side, science and tech side. And uh, what I do is I build research I build prototype tools, I build future scenario models, uh, some policies, uh, then also training program for government officials when required. And then we take it to the government and what we are expecting from that is governments are taking information. I mean, they take decision based on information. Now, why I'm saying that it is decision is very critical when it comes to information is that um, if I ask you uh, a question, like say, for example, um, do you think the number of trees have increased or decreased in India in the last 100 years? Now, unanimously, everyone will say that it has decreased, right? So the, it, it is a common thought. But the problem is uh, it has not. The thing is natural vegetation has decreased, but the artificial vegetation has increased a lot exponentially because of agriculture, because of a lot of these ornamental trees coming in and so much of it. It might not be environmentally good, but that is how it has been happening. So for a government, it shouldn't be based on any of these uh, perceptions. That is, people imagine this way, that way, et cetera, et cetera. Instead of that, I think about informed decision-making. So that's what uh, uh, I try to do. So this is the process, the entire process, how it happens. So first is, we in the left side, what you can see is a set of maps, a uh, set of data that comes in. This is just a sample we actually produce. When we are taking some decisions, we bring in around... Uh, 100 to 200 layers, depending on the uh, area and the team of work that we have. We bring in a lot of these data, figuring out what is happening, where, et cetera, whether it is uh, temperature is increasing or surface water is changing, vegetation has been changing, or uh, it can be whether land is moving up or down, everything about that, we bring all these maps. And the second part is to figure out uh, what is happening from that. And third is in the photograph that you can see, we take it to the Government and the, the guy is from, uh, he was a planner and uh, government planner and he's doing planning and we support him from our team 
and see that you know these are the problems, uh, these are the data. This is what solution you can take. It. So this is how data-driven decision making works. And from that, I'll give the context of uh, flooding in uh, India. Now, when I say flooding, I mean uh, people generally believe that you know rain comes in, it goes out, and that's it. Floods and uh, it wrecks havoc, and uh, uh, they simply think that it can be controlled or anything of that sort. So actually, there are there are so many things into it. Um, so I'll just talk about the. There are five, six uh, types of floods. Actually, India is affected by at least these five. Uh, which is uh, the first one is the riverine floods. Let's say, for example, a uh, huge amount of uh, rainfall happens in the mountains, and uh, the river just uh, you know uh, expands, and because of that, there is a lot of flooding, like what you see in Bihar or uh, Karnataka or something like that. Or then there is uh, pluvial flooding. That is, for example, you are living in a city like Bangalore or Mumbai. Uh, where it is not a river, it is just the heavy rains, and because of that, there is kind of floods. Um, and then there are other types like coastal floods. For example, if a storm is coming, storm water—I mean, the sea level rises—and because of it, there will be floods. And uh, there are other two types, which is groundwater and uh, glacial lake. I will just show an image for glacial lake in the presentation. But uh, these are the different types of floods because each one of them requires different types of intervention. One solution will not address all the problems. That is the uh, condition. I'll start with this map. And uh, when we talk about India's riverine uh, uh, floods, we need to know about India's rivers and the river systems. Um, so our rivers are extremely dynamic. That means their numbers, their uh, flow amount, the quantity, everything changes um, uh, with respect to seasons, like extremely uh, changes. Uh, Sometimes uh, uh, if you see certain images of Ganga in certain places, in certain times, it will look like a small stream at some times, you know, so during summer. But at the time of floods or at the time of monsoon, uh, it will span kilometers. Uh, the width will be like uh, multiple kilometers. So it's extremely dynamic. Um, so <clears throat> uh, historically, it has been very good for us in the sense if you, if you talk about any civilization, whether it is Indus Valley or whether it is Ganga, or why, why does it happen in the river valley, right? So it is because of this flood water. This flood brings lots and lots of sediments, and these sediments are extremely fertile, and that's where our uh, agriculture happens. Uh, it is that agriculture that created our civilizations, and uh, so it is very critical for us to have these floods. It's not like flood is something that is evil. It is, uh, it is actually a very good tool for us. Now, because the lands, you know, in some parts of it, we try to prevent it, uh, you don't get, uh, you know, uh, fertile soil anymore. That is the condition right now, because of which you have to use a lot of manure and uh, everything of that sort, artificially. But uh, so, the, so this is how the river system is in India. And uh, Ganga is the single largest, uh, uh, you know, I mean, nearly half of India's population is in the Ganga uh, uh, watershed, you can see it in the blue color, the, the large blue is Ganga. And others, uh, other rivers also take up a good chunk of it. Now, as I was saying about, uh, um, you know, how it changes between times. So here is a sample how it happened in this year. So this is critical to understand what is flood plain. So this is a satellite image for uh, uh, Bhima River uh, near north in uh, northern Karnataka. This happened in uh, this year. So in May 2020, that is the top image, what you can see. You can see a small river, it's blue and it's uh, flowing as per, uh, as per what we want during summer season. Maybe it's uh, flowing through a channel and you can see 
uh, the the land is appearing a little bit darker because of fires actually people actually after they are done with the crop they burn right so uh, so it's a little bit dark as well as the soil is also black soil by the way so it's a little bit of both combinations but uh, so you can see a lot of uh, uh, you know agricultural land as it is and uh, that is the top image but in october 2020 you have in the bottom image what you see is that the river there was a huge amount of uh, uh, rainfall upstream uh, in maharashtra and because of that there was a huge flood in uh, karnataka and uh, now you can see the size of the river how it has changed so this is a, this is a very small one i just i just kept it because it happened this year so and uh, had a very good satellite image for it so i kept it like that but uh, in case of krishnanal last year it was like 5 kilometers it was spanning um so in this case you can see multiple kilometers it has gone inside and many farmlands have been taken over by these uh, uh, sediments so you can see the brown color because of the sediments that it brings the soil the fertile soil it comes with um so historically these agricultural fields also have been acting as the buffer for this so this is what we call as flood plains that is you have a smaller course for the river but during the times of floods it expands and uh, this flood plain is very critical to hold this flood water as well as to transfer it now unfortunately we think uh, we have been uh, at least our engineers have been thinking in the other way around uh, we have been trying to contain the river into a smaller bandwidth and because of which it is leading to further issues so here is one case what is happening in uh, bihar um, so the kosi river is one of the most uh, uh, flood prone as they say but uh, <clears throat> uh, here is the problem so the government thought uh, you know um, for the, this has been happening for the last few decades as well so what they thought was if you build walls on both the sides the river won't expand right so for thousands of kilometers across bihar we have built all these embankments so in the image you can see that the river is following two lines so that has been marked roughly uh, so it, you can see the brown uh, area is just contained within these two lines those are the embankments now what happens is that because of that the area within these two walls they get over flooded and uh, the area outside the walls they are the water from that is not able to enter inside the river technically you are supposed to water is supposed to go to the river right so because it has been walled this water also can't enter in so that is what is marked in the yellow color so you can see that there is a lot of water over there all these are having water and they can never go outside so unfortunately i mean in the normal flood situation at least you will have 3 4 days of flooding and it will eventually drain but in this case it cannot drain at all the walls are preventing it so these are the embankment walls and uh, in the bottom you can see that the embankment is not clear because you know so- sometimes other rivers come in so your your wall is not complete or there is a small town by the river or something like that because of which the embankment has opening so basically the embankment has not stopped the flooding it has just transferred from one place to another uh, but eventually people are still getting affected but this is what the problem with our engineering solutions there are instead of uh, controlling it it became like hundreds of different kinds of problems so here is a zoomed in version of it so you can see that uh, this is the red color line in the top image is the embankment and within the embankment you can see some villages which are completely drowned uh because uh, they have built a wall and the water cannot go outside and uh, instead of uh, 1 feet of flood water now we are having 3 4 feet so you are just uh, so this is the reason why bihar floods every year it's not because of abnormal rain 
it is because of these kind of uh, issues so in the second one you can say that uh, an embankment has failed now this is also a problem when you have thousands of kilometers of walls someone has to maintain it if one person forgets or one person leaves it that's it it's broken and uh, it eventually leads to failure so this was again this was this year again uh, so you can see a failure and because of it many uh, areas were flooded and uh, it was like that so one of the worst cases happened in 2008 in kosi river so what you see here is the animation of uh, before and after of it so you can see a huge yellow line in the middle of it appearing right so this is because uh, uh, this is actually this is hundreds of kilometers by the way um so when the embankment failed in 2008 uh people blamed again on rat holes and uh, fox holes whatever it is on uh those things were blamed on and uh, eventually it began uh you know uh, killing hundreds of people as well as flooding a lot of lands and the water was also not able to go back to the river because again there is a wall in another place so it was uh, it was this kind of an issue now that is one aspect of it when we try to control it the second aspect is when we try to build over it without respecting it um so we build a lot of highways uh over our rivers of course and nearby rivers but uh, we don't consider the flood plains majority of our planning is done during the summer time and uh, we don't go there at the time of flood so you do not know how much water is there it will come so they just built it as like the contractor will just come they'll just say that you know this is the best design you'll just build it etc but what happens is that uh, during the time of floods it will eventually uh, you know that infrastructure will be affected so uh, this is in the right side what you see is kabini river yeah this was from last year um, so in the top image what you can see is a flooded areas as per satellite image from radar images and in the bottom image you can see google maps which says says you know which are the places the places that have been blocked because uh, tra- traffic has been blocked because of uh, flooding so what you can notice over here is in exactly in the flood plains these blockages have happened um it's primarily because the roads were not built when you, when you are trying to build over a flood plain you have to make sure that culverts are in place etc etc but uh, even though our engineers do know that they do not know where the flood plain is right so that is the biggest problem you, you might know what is the solution for it but you do not know where the flood plains so uh, this is a this is this is, the worst part is when it happens in urban area it will be even worse like say for example this is the belandur vartur area in bangalore so in the left side image what you can see in 1984 that uh, area marked in the red circle that is a flood plain uh, between these two lakes so when the belandur lake overflows it will flow through this region and it will go to the vartur lake now in 2016 you can see that all of this have been built up and a small canal has been left for water to run now just imagine how it is going to play right so what we did was in uh, um, a few years back we created a model to figure out uh, uh, you know where exactly are these flood plains in bangalore and how has been urbanization that is building growth has been happening in bangalore so in the right side animation what you can see is in the green color are areas which are demarcated as flood plains by us it is not a government one we demarcated it because government doesn't have any information on this right um and then using satellite images the gray color and red color what you see is how buildings grew in bangalore so you can see the city expanding over time in the last 25 years and uh, you can see that some of the, the areas in red are where flood plains are where they have constructed buildings now of all the um 
white areas, of course, you can build over there. That is good. But uh, unfortunately, our real estate business doesn't work that way. They think whatever is, you know, if this place is developed, take the nearby next place. They don't look at floodplains. They don't look at anything else. And it has just expanded just like that. And uh, in the last 20 years, as I said, like Bangalore has uh, some of, I mean, Bangalore, the problem is Bangalore is uh, sitting on the top of the hill. Unlike other cities, Mumbai or Kolkata or Chennai, where you are like, you know, at the bottom, Bangalore is in the top of the hill. And, but it floods over there, right? So it is, uh, it is that kind of a problem. So you can see over here. So three photos I have taken from news uh, media. And from our map, uh, where are these, uh, you know, photos taken, etc. I just put it over there. So you can see that all the three are falling with the red areas that we have marked. So it is a poor planning practice. That's it. So one is from Belandur Vartur, one is from Electronic City, the other from Koramangala. You can see all these flooded. The, see, it's it's not just about, uh, you know, water being stagnant or you, you are not able to buy groceries. You can see the cars over there that are standing in it. That means insurance, money. There is a lot of money that is involved and uh, money is being lost just because of poor planning and poor execution of these things. So it, and beyond that, we also have... Uh, infrastructure related issues. That is um, when we say about, uh, you know, they build canals, but uh, are these canals really useful? That is another question. So you can see in the top image, satellite image from uh, Bangalore, this, uh, this one again from Bangalore. In the top one, you can see it like uh, uh, a canal has been made to turn 90 degrees. This is not how a river flows. I mean, river flows in a natural way, but our plots and buildings, they wanted like 90 degrees and everything. So they just built it just like that. And the worst part is now the canal is carrying sewage water. That means when floods come, at your, some amount of the capacity is already gone because sewage is flowing in it. And uh, the next two images are photos from Bangalore again. Uh, so you can see the way our engineers think about these things. So. In the left side, what you can see is a, is a photograph of a stormwater drain in Bangalore. Um, you can see that it is raised by three, four inches from the road. Basically, water is not going to enter in unless it fills four inches. Uh, but why they have done it is, according to them, they will not get the project in the next few years. And for the next few years, uh, the road might, height might increase. And uh, after that, the water will flow automatically into it. So the, for the first four or five years, you have to just witness that. I mean, it depends. I mean, next time they, when they come in, they have to change it again, et cetera, et cetera. And those kind of things. This is not working at all. And in the right side, you can see how the uh, existing uh, stormwater drain is you know, blocked by all our uh, solid waste, et cetera, et cetera. So you have a lot of these problems happening in our city. So uh, my duty is to figure out right, like where it is happening. So the last one, this is one type of flooding that I promise to talk about a little bit. What is it? There's a glacial lake outburst flooding. Uh, not much people have uh, introduction into these, uh, uh, this section. Um, so what happens is that our glaciers have been uh, uh, melting and particularly they have been melting at a faster rate. And because of which uh, there are many temporary lakes that have been formed near the lakes, uh, near the glaciers. So this case is from uh, uh, Sikkim. Uh, so the yellow line marks, uh, you know, the size of the lake in 1968. Now, the red line, you can see that it is 2020. It has been growing every year. And uh, this is a temporary lake. So at any time, it can burst. Once the edge of it cracks, 
uh, once it is not able to hold the amount of water, it is going to break. This is these are not permanent, by the way. But we do not know when it is going to happen because you need to check how stable it is, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. When this happens, a lot of uh, uh, lives usually get lost in other places. So, but uh, we, we are going to face this type of floods. But I'm not going to go into this because it's a, the solution part of this is a very complex one. Uh, we still have a lot of uh, solutions back in our cities and uh, 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 other places itself that requires intervention. And so this one can wait a little bit. Now, with that in context, what what can we do? So I have a few slides over here that talks about um, uh, you know the solutions of. Uh, um, uh, solutions that we can take up, etc. So the first one is data. Now this is the biggest trouble that we have. Uh, when I say data, we need when we want to know which are the places that are going to be affected. We need to know what is the terrain like. We know water is going to flow from top to bottom, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. You can think about all of these things, but do you know what is the top and what is the bottom? Do you have the elevation data for it, etc.? Now. The government has a course data that is already out there, which can do, which can maybe help out a little bit in, uh, say, riverine conditions, in big rivers, etc. But in our cities, we don't have very high resolution data. Even if it is, it is not much used for any of the analytical process. I know for sure that there are some data in certain cities, but not all cities. So here in this map, you actually can see a 3D terrain that I built out of uh, satellite images and everything for Mumbai. Now, when you see this itself, you can figure out where is water going to flow when the rains come in, right? So this data is critical. Now, this data is something that government has to build. And uh, we as I said, we have course resolution, but we need to make it more final. Now, for example, Google is working with uh, the CWC, that is the Central Water Commission with one of the flood-related projects in uh, Brahmaputra River. Now, they have complained that you know that, that they don't have you know good accuracy elevation data. That is, they do not know the terrain very well. So they procured satellite images and they began creating higher resolution versions. But that is only for Brahmaputra, and that is again Google, right? We need to our government need to figure out things for ourselves, right? We need to do it. Uh, we have our own capacities in ISRO, NRSC. We have it in uh, SAC Ahmedabad. So there are capacities in our country. We need to increase it. So from this aspect, I'll just talk about how we are going to do it. So first is we need that elevation data. We need to specialize all the data that is there. We need to talk about uh, where water will flow. What are the places which are having buildings? Even now, there are the, the, so, so why I'm stressing a little bit on this data front is that, see, we do not have clarity on how many villages we have, how many lakes we have, how many rivers are flowing in our country. We don't have clarity. We have, you know, rough numbers. But if you uh, strictly ask any person, any expert, even myself, I mean, if you ask it, I'll just give you an approximate number. And uh, this is the number, etc. or something like that. If you ask me in depth, I'll be like, you know, this is what it is, but uh, we are not sure there might be small problems here, there, etc., etc. You know, um, that kind of an explanation. We do not know. Uh, we do not have a proper uh, urban land use maps. We don't have anything around this kind of uh, uh, situation. So this is a this is a very tragic situation. Um, uh, this is a very tragic situation, and uh, because of which we are not able to take decisions. When we when you go to the local governments, you will see that these uh, lack of data is affecting all this analysis. Now, 
the second part second solution that i want to talk about is capacity building now let me let's say that uh, you know like the model that is showing in the right side this is a simulation model because i had data i created data for a particular place and at a particular place i can run it it requires a good computation power but maybe i can run it but uh, if i have to tell this to a government official who is going to work with a corporation or a state government or something like that does he have the capacity right so software do you have the person to sit and work on it so these capacity building is completely lacking we need to finance this so we are not doing it right now now once you do this after this we can create maps of hazards i mean it's not just a simulation that you are seeing on the right side so that is one time flood simulation but with that we can create a map saying that this place is likely to face floods once in 5 years or once in 10 years etc etc which we can use in our planning uh, process so us has it the united states has it for the entire country uh, and uh, but we don't have anything in that sort so this flood uh, you know they flood zoning mapping in 1975 cwc around 1975 they, they came up with an idea for it and till now there is no progress in it there is absolutely no progress in it that's a that's a very sad state of our affairs so we don't have this uh, uh, so we we need money for doing this and it is not there um, since it is not there then the maps are not coming out since the maps are not there the planning processes are not happening now why i want this uh, maps to be shown is that if the maps are out there then banks can take it insurance companies can take it and they can say you know don't build it over here because if you build it i won't be able to provide insurance for your house you know this is a high risk area why should i fund it because i am going to i mean the bank will be losing money if they want to uh, you know if they are going to fund all these things now apart from this there are other methods to avoid all these problems so uh, um, say for example um, if i am going to tell a particular farmer that you know your land is a low lying area and you should not sell it to anyone what will happen to him i mean he also wants to take part in the economic development right i mean in the sense like if i am going to uh, if uh, if i am going to sell land to a developer and uh, build an apartment and rent it out and make money why shouldn't another farmer right so since he is in a flat plain etc so to avoid that we have some schemes called land pooling and town planning schemes so that they don't get disadvantaged because they are near a flat plain and finally that there is a water sensitive urban design i'll just show two slides on these two aspects of it, the solutions um, for which again we use a lot of data that is for example this is on um, uh, this is an illustrative map i can say uh so this land pooling schemes is one of the things that we uh, do a lot in wri uh, we are again helping the government with the amrut scheme and uh, in that also we have been uh, telling them how to do it etc so in india land pooling scheme in gujarat they have done it a little bit and uh, but it is uh, still not very widely practiced um so what is land pooling scheme and why it is critical is that in the left side what you see is uh, you know the current situation you can say some village roads are there a small village is there some farmlands are there you can see that each parcel is there each one is owned by a different person and uh, in the second image this is what we do right now is that we want to put a road or something like that, put a development and uh, you just build a big road in the middle and you compensate for the land that is taken out that is what we do right now right this is how it is working and you have to spend a lot of money on this compensation 
and uh, the parcels are still out there and some of them so after that everyone sells to another person this person that person and rapid unplanned growth happens instead of that the op option to in the right side image what you can see over here is land pooling scheme what we do is we take all these farmlands as a single entity and redistribute it rearrange it and which are the areas that have to be protected as park which have to be protected as agricultural land which have to be protected as uh, you know natural buffer against flooding that we create and you have better roads you have better now land is a little bit lost here but value is not value increases imagine in the first option if you are just doing land uh, uh, you know acquisition what happens is that uh, you don't have any other service so here of course the road is nearby you can get a higher amount but imagine a land which is well serviced that is you have a park you have uh, you are well protected against uh, floods you are well protected against uh, heat um, and uh, uh, your transport system is proper that means your land value is going to be even higher so even though you might lose a little bit of extra land because you are going to build a proper network you will not lose value so that is land pooling scheme this is now practiced in uh, gujarat and uh, in also as part of amrut also it has been practiced so why don't we do it for the entire country right so that is the critical aspect of it the next is bring water sensitive urban design into this in urban areas like bangalore etc um you you just you are just we are just building concrete we are just putting tar everywhere we don't have anything that is uh, you know that takes in water sends it to the ground which can reduce the amount of flooding so this is what we call as water sensitive urban design and you can see some of the examples from elsewhere um, so why i'm saying is that you have a large parking lot you have a say a big bus depot or something like that and uh, you, you right now every everything is asphalted everything is concrete water doesn't go inside instead of that we just can have a little bit of uh, you know bioswales or uh, small green interventions that allows you to you know at least reduce flooding by 10% or 15% so these two three interventions these are not very complicated so the reason why i'm focusing on these is that is these are not complicated uh i mean you are not going to lose money you are not going to lose a big thing it's just a matter of idea a new idea that comes into place now for these and all i uh, have a normally i have a lot of maps but uh, yeah considering time and everything i'll just keep short so this is how we um, you know uh, we can reduce a little bit of flooding uh, first is understanding why it is happening second is figure out what are the places where it will happen and third is in each place what will be the exact solution now there is no single solution for the entire problem so but it can be always created the solutions can be created if we bring in the data so to do this we need to finance our institutions finance institutions like say nrsc sac ahmedabad to figure out the maps i mean create the maps we don't have it right now um i have been talking about it for many years um they are asking why don't you prepare it but i am not the authority i can prepare it but who would follow it right uh, if the government does it it's a bit better so we have been always telling like government should be doing it instead of us 
um, so that it can be taken forward. I mean, the first iteration, of course, it will be difficult, a uh, little bit difficult to understand uh, these concepts. But in the second one, of course, it will get better. Over a three, four years period, it will always get better. So, uh, so this is my uh, presentation, just uh, giving you a little bit of context. Uh, the flood story is a big, big story. Uh, you can find a lot of it in my tweets uh, if you want to. Uh, where I talk about individual cases, what is happening. So it's case by case we have to intervene, uh, where the local government and uh, the state government, everyone has to partner and figure out uh, whether it is uh, a flood happening in Dehradun or Bangalore or uh, doesn't matter. So, that's that. so anyway. I would like to ask you two questions. One is regarding the urban planning of Bangalore that you were discussing. Uh, yep. And in fact, Kosi River also, uh, the mm. embankments on Kosi River. I believe all these must have been prepared by civil engineers and the government, approved by somebody in the authority. And now the authorities only are trying to manage this. How how does it how does it work? So uh, I thought of keeping one slide on this Bangalore planning one, but uh, eventually I took it out. But uh, um, so the Bangalore uh, master plan, the RMP 2015, the regional master plan of 2015, which was uh, prepared in 2008, around that time it was composed. Um, so back then the scientific understanding of uh, floodplains was not there in the community, uh, let alone the planners. Right? So it was not there and there were not enough tools. And so what they have done in the plan is that uh, they took all the drains and uh, around that, they drew buffers, 10 meters, 5 meters, blanket buffer. Uh, in some places, actually, you don't even need buffer. In some places, you need a lot of it. But uh, they put blanket buffer everywhere. Uh, and it is not being respected. That is a different story. But uh, that blanket buffer is going on. So that is currently still there because the new regional master plan has not been finished because of a lot of criticism and everything. It is being redone. Uh, but uh, the current regional master plan doesn't have any provisions for it because of the lack of understanding of in the past. Um, so this is how we work. I mean, the 15 years once master plan is being done, the technology and the science ha would have, you know, expanded, exploded a lot in the meantime. It's just seven years. Sir. When I joined WRA India, it was uh, 2015. And, uh, and I was showing them the master plan and I was telling them, you know, this is not how you do it. Uh, but planners did not have any idea. And these planners, of course, as I said, the capacity is lacking thing. But uh, planners sitting in uh, at the age of 45, 50, talking about new softwares, it's very difficult. So uh, they need some juniors, younger juniors who can take this up and do it. But uh, that has not happened in the past. So that is with the Bangalore story. In uh, in the Bihar story, it is a very complex process. So that the Bihar one is, uh, it is, it is not a regional master plan or anything of that sort. Engineers started it. I mean, this was started in the British era and uh, they started it and they have been just going with it and nobody wants to break the status quo. The fear is, I mean, uh, this is what we call now power without responsibility. Like I, uh, I am like, I can talk about it because I'm not responsible uh, for, you know, uh, if some flood happens, nobody's going to question Raj, but the engineer over there has a fear that, um, you know, if I change something and because of that, something else has happened, then they will all come to me. So that fear is there. So because of that, they are not going with change. They don't want to change. 
if it is even if it is good or bad they don't want to do it because they just let it be i mean every year they'll criticize me one day but instead of that what if they criticize me every day and put me in jail or something so because of that the engineers are not doing it at all uh, there is a legit fear i mean this is a legit fear i mean even if i am put in over there i'll be having i mean i'll talk about these but uh, but uh, but uh, you know they it, it is very difficult for them to make the change uh, since the responsibilities with them so you know that, that. what a fall uh, raj i was thinking uh, from dholavira i was in dholavira same time last year three layers three layers of water channels built cut, uh, you know taking into account the the height and all of that of of the of the entire region um, so what a fall from from that time i was wondering all of that drained into a big canal outside with several wells which all get filled up through the entire dholavira city beautiful design it was like jaw dropping to be honest anyway so my question was around bangalore what do you do now that or mumbai we are where we are what do you do now i mean the the slide that you showed on um you know small uh, open spaces in parking and walking areas that that's probably not a solution at this point in time so uh, you know the 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 uh, water sensitive urban design is a is a way to reduce the impact it is not going to completely answer it um see the problem is the flood plain have been already encroached in bangalore and um, right now you know the rough uh, in, thing is if you want to demolish every house of course you can go and take it it will solve the problem but uh, people have invested a bit in it um, so everyone there is a lock in period so at least a 30 40 year period that they look into when they build an apartment or a house or something like that so it is very difficult in that perspective i mean for the already developed areas but what i wanted to stress is still new develop new areas are being developed which is not following any of these uh, i mean old areas that is a headache i mean we have to figure out some complex solutions for it we do have some of the thoughts in it i'll i'll talk about it a little bit but uh, before that uh, even in the new areas which are coming up it is not being taken up that is the problem now there is a peripheral ring road coming in um there is a lot of development across the sajapur as well as the airport road none of these plans or any of these uh, schemes or any of these protocol so what i'm going to have is right now let's say the 100 acres is flooded next year i'm going to explode it into 150 acres it's going to happen so already existing one at least at least i can maintain status quo 100 itself can become 100 right so but now the thing is that is why i was uh, focusing a little bit on greenfield development when i talked about land pooling schemes and everything greenfield development that is new development that is coming in at least they can accommodate all these things because the lock in period since it is high for the already developed one it becomes a stage by stage development we call it as uh, local area planning we have uh, put that in the recommendations for uh, restructuring of bangalore there is a document you can find online called uh, you can go to a website called bbmprestructuring.org um um right now government is still taking bits and pieces of it but uh, bangalore is very messed up when it comes to uh, civic society politics and everything it is honestly it is messed up uh, from top to bottom um uh, because of which there is a little bit hesitance in kind of decision making around things um, whatever 
someone wants to do someone is going to oppose and um, so that is the reality you, you uh, so uh, so from that actually we talked about this levels of planning and particularly local area planning uh, which talks about uh, how over time you can improve the already you know problematic areas when they are rebuilding what should be the regulation now you can't go and demolish the houses there are lakhs of people sitting over there so we can't demolish it it's not uh, fair i mean even if it is uh, even if we think that we can demolish if the people accept also you have to pay compensation that amount is not going to come so what we are thinking is uh, um planning regulations for already developed areas in these how they can build when they are you know rebuilding it uh once uh, after 20 years or 30 years when they are like done what should they do um so that is that is so there are two types of one in this one i focused a little bit on greenfield but uh, this, this brownfield development or redevelopment is something that we don't talk about in india uh because of the contentious issues i mean anyone you is you are going to tell a public like you know your house is in a very bad area if i give a solution to them they'll be like you know are you going to demolish mine right so immediately there will be a protest or something like that but uh, so that is a little bit complex and a tricky one but uh, we have put some recommendations for it uh, there are two as i said two types of recommendations one is to prevent from it to happen second is uh, for the already you know done area what is the solution so i a little bit focused on the planning for uh, future development at least because we are still going to expand a lot so at least that you can reduce that is the concept is it a lack of competence within our uh, technical um, circles in the government or is it a lack of political will or both complex all of them plus uh, fear personal fears um, nobody wants to take the risk um, so uh, i mean we have uh, I, i don't remember how many commissioners for bangalore we had since 2015 but i think at least 3 or some manjunatha prasad i don't remember like 3 4 people were there but uh, uh each one will be like uh, they want to do it they want to they personally ha- they might have that uh, technical competence it's usually like a problem with respect to finance if finance is sorted out uh, then technical competence will automatically come into place new ideas will um, uh, come in if uh, if they are having the funds i mean the of course uh, as i said like you know we can't expect everything to happen with the uh, you know already uh, the big planner i mean the uh, as a senior planners or something but uh, uh, but uh, that technical competence can be solved political will is uh, political will usually i think that uh, whether it is congress or bjp or anything of that sort usually i think that there is some kind of a will uh, but uh, it doesn't necessarily translate because we have a huge bureaucratic uh, uh set up we have a you have a huge set of officers who take the decision um if you ask uh, whether a chief minister or prime even the prime minister if you ask it like you know they 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 would have their opinions they can try push it but uh, at the end the documents the papers and everything is officers um so at that point uh, you know they might not so it's a it's a political will from the point of view of a bureaucrat that is affecting it a lot and they have a fear Uh, they everybody has a fear i mean i i bring in all of these things they always say that you know uh, we can try piloting it we can do it we can we can but never happens <laughs> so fear is there yeah, i have one question uh, for decision making uh, do you use uh, data science techniques uh, to analyze your data or you are working on only qualitative data 
No, no, no. Um, so we work on uh, uh, every aspect of data. So uh, I, I, I didn't stress on the methodologies that we use because it's a little bit complex. For example, um, when I say uh, we use data, what kind of data we would be using? I'll just give a glimpse. For a, uh, let's say, uh, let's say for Bangalore, if you are going to again for Bangalore, you can say um, we'll try to get all the. Uh, Satellite-based estimations. Well, the reason there is a huge reason why I prefer satellite-based uh, estimations because uh, it is not coming from specific people, right? So I know what is the problem with that machine, I, uh, but it's a machine that is going to deliver, and it is not having any bias or anything of that sort. And it comes to me in raw. So I prefer a lot of this satellite data. So we use a lot of satellite data to figure out uh, elevation. We try to figure out where buildings are, what what type of buildings are there, whether it is residential apartments or whether it is uh, commercial buildings, et cetera, et cetera. We have models for it. Uh, so we build that in one side of it to figure out what is there on the ground. That is one aspect. Second is for the socioeconomic factors, we use a lot of census and a uh, uh, lot of data from the government itself, uh, whether it is uh, census, primary population census, or it's... Uh, uh, the socioeconomic and caste census or the economic census every year, the ASI data, the directory of establishments, we bring in a lot of these kind of data as well. Um, and we try to specialize and we try to figure out about the, the quality aspect of people and their amenities that they have. That is say, for example, uh, if I want to talk about, um, um, you know, sewer system or something like that, I want to know what is the percentage of houses that are having connections over there. Right. So for that, I'll use satellite images, I'll use census and other survey data, as well as the engineering data that is coming from, uh, uh, you know, the respective department, whether it is uh, for Bangalore case, it is BWSSB, Hyderabad, HMWSSB, etc, etc. So that is the Bang- um, Bangalore, uh, sorry, Bangalore Water Supply and Sewerage Board. So they will have their pipelines data, we bring that in. So we try to figure out and we, we make sure what is happening on ground should be captured in our computer. That is the biggest aspect of it. Uh, so uh, most of my time is not uh, with the interpretation or uh, with the political uh, um, parties. I, I have been more going into the science and research of it. Uh, so why? Uh, what we do mostly is that we try to, in my computer, I need to have the representation of, the, of what is happening in Bangalore. Entire Bangalore should be in my finger. That's, I mean, in the sense, like to analyze it, if I want to know who is where, so uh, basically to understand the questions of where, who, what, why, these kind of questions, if I want to answer anything that is coming as data, I'll take it. Um, so it is not necessarily qualitative, etc. And we do a lot of analysis, we do build a lot of models, it can be, it can be a simple linear regression, it can be AI and for, for this example, that simulation of flood model that you see over here. Uh, that was coded in Python. It was a it was a specific program we call this flood model, and uh, it, it's a it's a cellular automata type of a model. And uh, for figuring out what is a flooded area that is already affected, not not modeling, for those kind of things we use machine learning and AI. Uh, so we use a lot of analytics. Uh, data forms the crux of uh, the entire process, and we spend a lot of time in digitizing. Right now, I have nine people in my team to sit and digitize data. Uh, and uh, then we do. Then we have two, three programmers, including me. We model the data, we structure, and we bring the stories out of it. And uh, we make sure that everything is represented on, like what is seen on the ground is represented in my computer. That is the aspect of it. So normal. So 
I think once in a while I make this comment in Twitter also, like you know, um, see with all these softwares and everything, many anyone can prepare map. Map preparation is not a tough task. I mean, if you open certain websites, you can just anyone can prepare maps. But to understand what you are preparing is the hardest part of it. So for that, we use a lot of analytics. Unfortunately, I mean, in our presentations, we don't bring those ones because in, when we are talking to a politician or general public, it becomes difficult to explain the statistical models. Um, so the first presentation when I when I had was I took to the when when we were meeting the commissioner of Bangalore and we I had prepared like a, a statistical numbers and huge number of numbers were there, and my boss was like, uh, "Do you know what you're doing? Uh, like, this is the actual numbers as I got it. I'm just showing." The politician cannot read more than two numbers in a single slide. So trim it down, trim it down, trim it down. Now this is this is my current version of after all those trimming downs. So, but anyway, we have a very good set of analysis and models. As I said, like uh, uh, we have one of the best teams in the country to do this right now. We are building it also. So last year, uh, last year we had three people, and now uh, we got funds because people saw success in it. Um, so now we have fifteen uh, people working in the team. and uh, i'm expecting it to grow to 30 people in the team so i mean just just from my perspective I mean, just from my team itself so this is the big expansion and everything so um, uh, that's because of this uh, um, pipeline we have from data till interpretation uh, of recently i have been i have not been conversing much with the political or the um, governance side um, i'm more and more going into the data side and uh sit and i just want to enjoy my own time kind of thing but uh, but that's how that's how we work uh, i hope it answers your question do you put out these animations these visualizations online apart from twitter on any other channel where i mean anybody can come in and read them like um, there is a site called datastories.in for example do you do something yeah. similar open source them? so yeah so what uh, currently uh, as i said like um, um once our uh, twitter when i i think i cracked a little bit i guess uh when i sent maps out people were reacting very well and uh, we got some funding also so right now what we are doing is um um at least two to three people in our team in 2021 in particular they would be building a particular site for us uh, there will be a particular website where uh, uh, so far in twitter i have uh, given shown the by products only Uh, not the stuff that we show to the government okay so this is more uh, so in my twitter account i would have put it like you know it's personal um so by products i share it over there so this is just the by products which you see so the actual analysis and the maps are like uh, really intense and we want to make sure we don't put it that much outside because uh, sometimes it's also our own thing right you know we want to show it to the government and that kind of a, there is a tactical reason for it uh, so but uh, now we have funding for it um so what we are doing is actually there is a team two to three people are there right now um they are sitting and developing this website uh, which will be custom made for showing these kind of maps and stories uh, it's not just data i want to put it outside so i have been very clear about it data for the sake of data is useless um if you put i mean if you go to any other website you can find a lot of data people can download and see but but i want to make sure that it is useful so we are creating a website we have a from our team there will be people who are arranging it as well as um, um there will be um an external consultant to design the website and everything like that where we will be putting out a lot of these things which anyone can download anyone can access anyone can filter it if you want story by city 
uh, that is a huge problem that management is having because uh, uh, there is um, 16 TB of maps in my computer and uh, hard disks. So we are trying to figure out how to bring it out without costing too much for the company. <laughs> they are like, you know, do you want me to build this much amount of a website or something? It's a question, but slowly we are trying to solve it. Um, so yeah, it's actually going in a good direction. I mean, taken all these, uh, uh, many people ask the same question in, uh, online also. So, so management took it. It's the first step. Let's see. So um, we believe that more funds will be coming in and once that comes in, we'll build a better storytelling website. So any anyone, I mean, I, I believe in storytelling. I, I watch this a lot of this wrestling and everything. So I believe in storytelling. That is a map shouldn't go just like that. There should be a story with it. 